Well, good evening. It's good to be with you all. Uh, my name is Joel Fitzpatrick. I am a teaching elder. Just hold on. I'll tell you to sit down in a second. I've almost got you. Um, just trust me. I'm a teaching elder from Southern California in the, in the PCA. If you would, please take out your Bibles. I'm going to actually ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word if you're able. This is a little bit of a longer text, so if you, if you can't stand, don't worry about it. Go ahead and sit down. But uh, from the churches where we are in Southern California, we stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word because this is God who is speaking to us now through His Word. You don't stand up because it's me, (laughs) because I'm a pastor, I have something special about me. We stand up because we're hearing from God. So please open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. We're going to read all of chapter 61 in the first seven verses. Of 62, it's all of 18 verses, so I don't think it's going to be too long, but here we go. Pay careful attention to the reading of God's Word. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair, and they will be called righteous trees, planted by the Lord to glorify Him. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the former devastations. They will renew the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers will stand and feed your flocks. And foreigners will be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you will be called the Lord's priests. They will speak of you as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of the nations and you will boast in their riches. In place of your shame, you will have a double portion. In place of disgrace, they will rejoice over their share so they will possess double in their land and eternal joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and injustice. I will faithfully reward my people and make a permanent covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their posterity among the peoples. All who see them will recognize that they are the people the Lord has blessed. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exult in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness as a groom wears a turban, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth produces its growth, and as a garden enables what is sown to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all nations." I will not keep silent because of Zion. I will not keep still because of Jerusalem until her righteousness shines like a bright light and her salvation like a flaming torch. Nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be given a new name. 
that the Lord's mouth will announce. You will be a glorious crown in the Lord's hand and a royal diadem in the palms of your God's hand. You will no longer be called deserted and your land will not be called desolate. Instead, you will be called my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you and, in, and your land will be married. For as a young woman marries a young man, so your sons will marry you. And as a groom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen on your walls that they will never be silent, day or night. There is no rest for you who remind the Lord. Do not give him rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem the praise of the earth. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Would you unite your hearts with mine as we pray? Lord God, we come to you now wholly dependent on you. Um, without you working in our midst so that we can understand what's going on here, this exercise is completely useless. So God, be here by the power of your Holy Spirit. Please open our minds, um, sharpen them, open our ears that we might hear, soften the ground of our hearts that as we hear your word proclaimed, the good news of the gospel, we understand the message, Lord, we pray that those seeds would fall on fertile grounds of our heart so that we might grow more and more into the image of Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen. Uh, First of all, thank you all for allowing me to be here. Thank you to the presbyters and to the elders for inviting me to come up. Um, I've known Mike now for a decade. He and I today were recounting the times that we've known each other. Uh, This is actually the third time I've preached an installation service for Mike. Um, And each time it's a new challenge. It's a new challenge because it challenges me to think about what God is doing in and through the church, through broken people like Mike. Now, you all have only known Mike for a month or so. I've known Mike for 10 years. And each time I preach, I think to myself, what can I say to this congregation today that will build them up, that will capture their minds so that this broken man, Mike, can come in and lead them in the way of Christ? So today, I want to talk about the character and the life of the kingdom of Christ What does it mean for us to be kingdom people? And what does that kingdom actually look like? I love business and I love corporate culture. In fact, I study corporate culture. That's what I do for a living. Um, I'm a pastor on the weekends and I'm a corporate culture person during the week. I read all about it all the times and in many ways. Um, I've made a profession out of studying this thing called culture. Corporate culture. You see, in every area of our lives, we live in culture, right? Um, And different relationships carry different styles of culture. Uh, We talked about that some today in the sermon this morning. Um, But you know all about this, right? At home, there's a certain way you act. Um, 
And if you transgress the boundaries of what's acceptable at home, especially if you're a kid, who kids live under law all the time, you know, do this, don't do that, you transgress, I'm on you as your parent, right? If you're a mom and you're at home and you get angry and you yell at your kids and you transgress the culture of the house, then there's relational distance that happens. If you're a dad and you're cold and not caring and you transgress the bounds of culture, then you break the family norm and everyone feels it. I'm a master of that one. I come home from work after teaching people about culture all day long, and then I shut my brain off, and I'm cold, and I transgress the culture of my household. You see, we think often that that's how the kingdom of God works. That the kingdom of God is all about cultural norms. And if we transgress those cultural norms, then God is going to treat us like we treat each other. He's going to become distant. He's going to become cold. He's going to get angry. He's going to lash out at us. There's no place that's more true about this sort of cultural ideal than middle school or high school. If you're here and you're in middle school or high school, first of all, I'm sorry. Um, But second of all, like middle school and high school, these kids in many ways are just savages. Um, There's cultural norms. You dress the wrong way and you better believe you're going to find out about it. You say the wrong thing. You look different than everyone else, and you know you're all of a sudden pushed to the outside of the culture, alone, afraid, sad. Recently, I've been going um, to see a therapist to work through some of the things in my past, And as I've been going um, to this woman, this godly woman, um, she has helped me to see that so often I live my relationship with God in this exact same way. I think to myself, if I'm doing bad, well then that's why all these bad things happen, because God must be angry at me. If I'm kind of just checking the boxes, you know, like I'm reading and praying... Then it's like, if my life goes moderately, then I'm like, okay, at least God's just putting up with me. If I'm trying really hard, and I'm writing, and I'm preaching, and I'm speaking, and I'm doing good for God's kingdom, then I think to myself, well, surely God's going to do good things for me. Because that's how culture works. But you see, God comes to us, I think, in this passage... And speaks a different word about his kingdom, about the way his kingdom operates. And so tonight I want you to just sit back and hear about God's kingdom of joy, his kingdom of liberty, his kingdom of freedom and of kindness, so that in hearing that we might believe and in believing we would feel the loving embrace of our Father, who loves us with an eternal love. 
So we're just going to look at this passage in two points. Um, I'm breaking Presbyterian rules. I'm only going two points. And no, even though this is a chapter and a half, it's not going to be that long. Here we go. First point, the anointed one. We get introduced to this person, the anointed one, right off the bat. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me. And the first question that might pop into your mind, it popped into my mind, is who is this anointed one? Like, who are we talking about here? Well, for a moment, I want you to just like hold that thought in tension, but think, who is it that the Holy Spirit descended on and empowered? Keep that in your mind as we hear about this person's, the anointed one's kingdom. First of all, we understand about the, the mission of this anointed one, the mission of his kingdom. Um, he, his mission is to bring good news to the poor, to bind up or to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty and freedom for the captives. Now, first of all, we see here, just really simply, who are the people who are a part of his kingdom? Well, it's the poor, it's the captives, it's the brokenhearted, it's those who mourn. That's who is a part of his kingdom. And and the anointed one comes and announces this beautiful reversal of fortunes. He says, you were a captive, now let me tell you, you're free. You're brokenhearted, as I work inside of you, I will heal your heart. You mourn? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. But he also proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. What is that? Well, in Israel, they celebrated the year of Jubilee, the canceling of all debts. Do you come tonight feeling like you owe God something? Like God can't accept you? Because you are captive to an addiction. You're a slave to your sin. Jesus comes to you tonight through the words of the prophet Isaiah and says, if you're part of my kingdom, all of that's finished. It's been nailed to the cross as the great song says, and you bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. But he doesn't stop there. It gets better, right? He comforts those who mourn. He lifts their heads up. I love this verse 3. Look down at your Bibles. Um, Right above. To comfort all who mourn. To provide for those who mourn in Zion, the, the people of God. To give them a crown instead of ashes. Festal oil. Instead of mourning and splendid clothes, instead of despair. You see, that's good news. <laughs> that's gospel news. You may be coming here tonight bearing the loss of a friend or the loss of a relationship. You may come here tonight bearing guilt and shame. And God says that's done with. You mourn that loss. Now instead of ashes on your head, 
things are going to change. Things have changed for you. You have a crown. You have festive oil. You smell nice. I don't know about you, but when I give a, when I have a good ugly cry, you know, after mourning something, you know, an ugly cry, that's like the cry when you're on the ground and you look really ugly and hope nobody sees you. Um, the cry you cry by yourself. Generally, it feels like my spirit is weighed down. I don't want people to be near me. Jesus returns comfort. He brings honor. You see Jesus, his mission, the the anointed one's mission is to build a culture where people who were at one time given to sadness are now given to joy and righteousness and beauty and honor. So who are these people? What do they do? As a part of Christ's kingdom, what do we do? A part of the anointed one's kingdom? Well, we rebuild, we restore. That's verses 4 through 7. We become people who seek justice, who love mercy, who walk humbly with our God. And the watching world takes note. (laughs) You see, the watching world, which at one point dominated you by their culture, they take note because then you start to flourish. You start to be a spring of joy. And you're changed. You're changed from slaves and mourners to ministers. I love that. Um, You may be here tonight thinking this service is about Mike. Um, This isn't. This is like the surprise ending. Um, You all are ministers. You all are called priests of this kingdom. And you all are called to go out in this joy. This eternal joy. This kingdom that's marked by abundance, a double portion Eternal joy. You see, I think so often we get joy mixed up with happiness. Um, You know, happiness, when you show up to church, we all know what that looks like, right? How are you doing? And you may have had like just a total dumpster fire of a week. And you walk in and you're like, oh, I'm great. Yeah, thank you. Everything's good, you know? And you put on a smile, right? That's happiness, Um, I love trucks. I finally got my favorite truck, the truck I've wanted forever. I was happy until someone rerended it like the day I got it. My happiness was turned into mourning. You see, joy is something completely different than that. Joy is a deep, settled rootedness in the reality that the God of the universe is for you. And if he is for you, What can stand against you? Nothing. Nothing can. You see, this is the people in this new kingdom. And this is all done because this is the heart of God. Verses 8 and 9. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery. I will faithfully reward my people. I will make a permanent covenant with them. Even their descendants will be known among the nations. All who see them will recognize that they are the people of the Lord. They are the people the Lord has blessed. You see, in this, God shows us his heart. 
he not only he not only makes us into his anointed people he not only changes the way that we experience things by the power of his spirit he then he then moves in us and moves so that we experiencing this joy this fulfillment this honor instead of shame we experiencing this we're called blessed <laughs> people to be envied people to be looked at and said, man, I want to be like them. Blessed people. But the problem here is that you and I know um, in our hearts, we are, we are the robbers. We are those who carry out injustice. We're the people who, who, um, who transgress God's covenant faithfulness over and over again. And yet God... Because of the anointed one, because of his work for us, has called us blessed. You see, in the face of your unfaithfulness, God is the faithful one. This is his heart. This is the heartbeat of God. Faithfulness and love for his people. What's interesting is this next phrase. I love this. I, will, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exult in my God. As I was working through this passage over the last few weeks, I just kept struggling. Who the heck is talking here? Who is I? Well, the only person who this is referencing is the Anointed One. Just think on that for a moment. The anointed one, seeing the outworking of his kingdom, rejoices over it, exults over it. Do you feel like God just merely puts up with you? (laughs) God rejoices when he thinks of you. When you sin, and it's a big sin, not just a little sin that we just like commit every day, right? But like a really big one. Um, not just like the little ones like pride or greed or gluttony. Um, not that sort of stuff, but like a really big one. Do you think all of a sudden God's like, oh, I'm just ashamed of you. I can't believe you would do that to me. No, that's not how God thinks. When God sees you, listen to how he sees you. He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He's wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. My kids always say, I have a 16-year-old and a 19-year-old. They, they went through this phase where they would always say, you look good, you feel good. You feel good, you do good, right? Um, and just go through that thing over and over and over again as reason for me to go to the mall and buy them new clothes. Uh, it didn't work very often, Um, I caught on. Uh, I'm a little bit slow on the uptake. Um, You see, that's great. But when it comes to shame, that doesn't work. (laughs) I can look good all I want and still be ashamed of who I am. But God says, I take away your shame. You don't need to be ashamed anymore. The things that you think make you dirty... I've replaced those things with new garments, the garments of salvation. 
I've given you a robe, a robe of righteousness. When I read that, I couldn't help but to think the parable of the generous father, the father who accepts his son after his son has said, I want you dead, give me your, give me my inheritance, and then goes off in pig slop and comes back. What does the father do? Does the father look at him and be like, yeah, sure, after about six months of you serving on my farm, then I'll accept you as my son. You know, don't get drunk. Don't go out and do what you need to do, cavorting. Don't do that sort of stuff. Then I'll give you in. No, the father, seeing his son coming, hikes up his robes and runs to him and calls for a new robe to replace his son's robe that was covered in pig slop. But he doesn't stop there. He gives him a ring, access to his bank account again. And then he gives him a cord to tie around his waist. You see, that's the same thing that's going on here. Jesus says, as a groom wears a turban, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, that's how God sees you. Those of us who are pastors in the room know this, or if you've ever been had the privilege of performing a wedding, you know this. There's nothing more that will make me cry um, at a wedding than when the bride is framed by the door and you look at the groom and the groom's heart is exploding. If you've ever stood at the front and watched the groom, you know what that's like. The groom just, I mean, it's like permagrin, right? It's like the smile goes all the way out to here. And his heart's racing, and you can tell it, and he starts to tear up. Brother and sister in Christ, that's what Jesus does when he sees you. When Jesus sees you, his heart wells with so much love, with so much fervor, that it's like permagrin, like a groom seeing his bride as she walks down the aisle. But you're also like a garden. A garden where you plant things and then they grow. How great is that? A seed in the ground splits open and grows. You see, that's the anointed one's kingdom. That's how he views his people. That's how he loves his people. In the same way, God is making you into a beautiful people. He causes righteousness and praise to sprout up before you. And you see, we're covered. We we participate in the anointed one's kingdom. We're ushered into this kingdom, not because we're particularly good. (laughs) I mean, that should be no shocker to any of us. None of us deserves to be a part of this anointed one's kingdom. But you know what? God in his love has chosen you with all of your foibles and all of your flaws, all of the ways you've sinned, all of the ways that you aren't who you wish you would be. God has chosen you and he's made you righteous because of the work of Christ for you, the anointed one. I was sitting with Mike the other day, uh, just yesterday, I think it was. We were sitting out on a farm, and we were just talking. 
And it dawned on us as we were talking together that God from all eternity planned the two of us to be there together. You see, that's how much God loves you from all eternity. Not based on who you would become, but simply because of his love. He robed you. He clothed you. And he gives you a crown. And the funny thing is, is that this story has only just begun. (laughs) We're in the very beginning chapters of it. Because the joy that Isaiah speaks about, that gets brought about by the anointed one, is an eternal joy. Can you imagine being in a place where you are totally settled about who you are? Could you imagine that, even for a moment? Being settled about who you are and being able to live with joy inside of you, not moved one way or the other, but just joyful, rooted. Did you imagine that? I can't. I've never been able to. And yet I look forward to the day when my joy will be fulfilled because I will be with God. And I'll be settled, joyful for eternity. Chapter 62, the messengers. What's their message? Well, um, look, I'll not keep silent. I love that. That sounds like such a Eugene Peterson phrase. He probably, probably did use it and stole it from Isaiah. But that's okay. He's with God now. He can work it out. Um, Not keep silent. You see, when something good happens to you, you can't help but to tell someone else, right? Um, When you receive a good gift, a gift that like actually nails it, (laughs) you can't help but to be excited because it means that that person knows you. That that person fundamentally understands who you are. Now, kids, like you, you might you might be able to, to identify with this. My son loved Lego Star Wars when he was younger. He's 16 now, so Lego Star Wars don't land as well. Um, but he loved Lego Star Wars. And one year, I bought him an at-at, you know, like the big giant uh, walkers, um, Lego Star Wars walkers. And he broke down. I mean, like legitimately broke down. And I was like, heck yeah, dad win. You know, dadding, nailed it. Uh, Why did he respond like that? Why did he then go and tell all of his friends at church about that? Because he was known. And because the gift was exactly what he wanted and needed. You see, when you receive the gift of being a part of the anointed one's kingdom, you become messengers of that kingdom. You can't keep silent. You know, and our message is this great story, the story of this great reversal. Ray Ortland Jr. writes this, God intends to prove through Christ how much he can love and bless ruined human beings. The gospel announces that if you are in Christ, God delights in you. You are no longer defined by your past. God redefines you with a new name of his own choosing. He's rewriting your future. 
And nothing can change that. You see, this is the message we bring to the world. This is the message that we turn and show through our love for one another and our love for the people around us that we are new people in a new kingdom. A kingdom that's marked by liberty. A kingdom that's marked by love. A kingdom where our Father nailed it. Where He nailed the gift that we needed. We get a new name. You may feel forsaken today, but God says to you, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You're no longer forsaken. You may feel deserted, but you're no longer called desolate. You're called, my delight is in you. (laughs) I've not experienced this very much in my life, but there are times in my life when I delight in another person. Where it's just like them being around is exactly what I need. It's what I want. I feel fulfilled. God, when he looks at you, when he sees you, he feels that sort of love towards you. You see, my love for someone who I love to be around is only like a little part. It's like a little glimmer of the way God feels when you His anointed people are with Him. You are the beloved of God. And God rejoices over you. And He sets up this place, Jerusalem, the city of God, where prayer, watchfulness, safety, security, home, all reign. You see, this is the message that changes people. This is the kingdom that changes people's lives, that gives us hope. This restoration, this reversal, it's not just about a future kingdom that's coming. It is about that, but it's also the kingdom that's here now that you and I live in. It's our present reality. And this is the hopeful message, the good news that's at work in you right now through the power of the Spirit. So, What does this have to do with us today? (laughs) Today, we're installing Mike to be not only the pastor, but a messenger along with the rest of us who brings us this good news. The last thing people need is another TED Talk. What they need is good news. Good news. They need a faithful minister who will not be ashamed to tell you this news over and over again. And so, may God make CVP a church that's committed to the preaching of the good news, the sharing of this good news to the world around it and with each other to the glory of God's grace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we come to you now, and um, this news is way too good, uh, feels too good to be true, that those of us, uh, we were once captives and now we're free. We were not once covered by shame, called desolate, but now are called, my delight is in them, that we live in your loving embrace. 
Lord, I pray today that this church would be a lighthouse of that good news to this neighborhood and that you would empower each person here and Mike to be ministers, um, preachers of that good news to the world around them through their love and good deeds. We pray this for Christ's sake. Amen.